0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Grace, Father, Son, and Spirit, we say thank you for what we just were able to say in song. Christ is ours forevermore the praise of your glorious grace you have given us keys to a city you have given us access to your throne room and you have promised us your outpoured, vast wide, long, high, deep love forever because of you Christ belongs to us praise your glorious grace thank you and Father then would you as you press that into us and, and cause it to ooze into all the cracks of our lives, then would you cause it to run out of our lives into the world around us so that others may hear of that and others may find it and Christ may become theirs also. I take it, Lord, because the world is not over you have not yet come yet, I take it that because of that there are still some in all of the nations that you are in pursuit of. And so, Lord, use us, please. And so move this morning that we would be captured by that idea and drawn to it and desire it to be a part of your mission to make Christ known in all the earth to draw people to him. Open up the word this morning, Lord, and and show that to us and draw us to it and from thankfulness then deploy us in the mission. Put this in your hands and ask you, Spirit of God, to move here and make this word clear and open a door for it to be heard and understood. Build your people and honor the Son. In his name we pray, amen. Have you ever been a part of a sports team that held tryouts, selected the team members, and held three weeks of practices twice a day, including Saturdays, handed out uniforms, took the team picture, and then called it a season? End of year, celebratory banquet, and then we disband, hand the uniforms back. No games, no tournaments, tryouts, practice, banquet, end. That's it. Ever been a part of something like that? Of course not. Nobody does that. Not ever. We all know that the games are what the team is, is for, that you're... The game is where you put into practice what you've been practicing, and that's why you had practice in the first place. I'm a gigantic believer in the usefulness of practice and for sport and what it teaches us in life, yes, but we all know that there's supposed to be some sort of, we work, we build in, we develop, we grow, we mature, and then we apply out there somewhere, sports, same is true for the educational system sometime around four or five years old much to the chagrin of kids you begin a long process of getting taught learning developing and growing but other than professional students we all expect that to end and there to be some purpose some some application some outward displaying that you go to school to learn but it's not an end in itself It's supposed to be applied outside of itself, and it would be odd if it wasn't. We expect that. And that same expectation is what we find answered in our passage today in Colossians chapter 4. Take a step back and look at Colossians here for the big picture. Over the last number of months, we've worked our way through Colossians chapters 2 and 3, and we have seen a lot of stuff in those chapters that's been really helpful and, and very good for the growth and Christ-like maturing of the church there in Colossae and then by extension here as well. We saw Paul at the very end of chapter 1 saying, that's what he spends his life for. He endures and he suffers, he says, to present everyone mature in Christ. Or in the words of chapter 2, verse 6, to So that we would be taught and built up in Christ and then rooted and built up in Christ. We would be established in faith and and thankful. And then Paul goes in chapter 2 to say how that can't happen, in chapter 3 to how that can happen. You set your mind on things above and you put off the old self that's not you anymore and you put on the new self that is you and you live it out. You walk mature in Christ as husbands and wives and parents and kids and then last week, masters and slaves, bosses and servants. So there I've been laboring that you all would mature in Christ. I've wanted to teach you and build you up and cause you to be rooted in this faith. Here's how it can't happen. Here's how it can happen. The end? Teach and learn and practice and teach and learn and practice and teach and learn and practice. The end? No. Chapter 4, verse 2, our passage for this morning, turns all that internal growth and that, that inward development into the, I'd say logical, outward application. Now, there's been application throughout, of course. I'm talking about the, the outward application beyond those who are already in. An application towards and for the good of the outside world, a bit like Paul's been been working with us at practice now for months, and now I was going to say, now we're going to go public with it, and we're going to interact with those who aren't on our team outside. That's what we're about. It's it's what Jesus is about. It's what Paul is about, and his mission is what consumed him. That that this otherwise previously unknown mystery of how God can save a people in Christ would be grabbed by us and then outwardly witnessed to spoken of so that those outside may come to know it too having helped us grow now he calls the church to join him in his mission that's what we're going to be considering today in the last teaching section of the book of colossians this is where colossians kind of ends when you realize that you say like oh It's going to this paragraph. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to read the passage and then make two observations from it. This is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Two observations. Here's the first. Persist in prayer for the mission. Persist in prayer for the mission. Verse 2 begins with a command that calls us to persistent, determined prayer. In the original sentence order, prayer is first. It's front-loaded for emphasis. This This is really about prayer. But Paul has in mind not just any and all sorts of prayer, but something in particular. Notice the next phrase, being watchful in it. Pray watchfully. Pray watchingly. He reminds us of Jesus on the night he was betrayed when he told his disciples, watch and pray. He doesn't mean just watch for the guys that are coming to get me. He means watch. Salvation history is happening. They didn't know it. But it's, it's happening. The kingdom is coming. And from that point on, throughout the, the New Testament, when you get words like stay awake or stay awake and watch, and, and when, even when you get them joined to prayer, what the New Testament means is watch, be alert for, look for the coming of the kingdom. Look for what's about to happen. Look for what's unfolding. Particularly, watch for the end. That fits perfectly in our context. As we're going to see here, if we look on in verse 5, Paul's going to talk to us about making the best use of the time, meaning the time we have until the end. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That shows us there that he's kind of looking forward. But it also fits very well with the context of of what we've already seen. If you look back at the three preceding verses, verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance... When does that happen? At the end. 25, when does the wrongdoer get paid back? At the end. 4 verse 1, when do we have to stand before and answer to the Master in heaven? At the end. It's the, it's the bookend of where chapter 3 started with telling us to look up where Christ our life is and, and to realize that when he appears, when he comes we also will appear with him in glory at the end. So he's going to come at the end, watch and pray. So this is prayer, if, if I can put it like this, it's return of Christ-oriented prayer. Whatever it's about, it has one eye on what's going on all around you and one eye towards the end, same time. You ever watch the British Baking Show or any of the other multitude of baking cooking shows on TV these days? The British Baking Show. The contestants are baking against a clock. And as they bake, the host regularly calls out 30 minutes left, 15 minutes left, 5 minutes left, 1 minute left, And the contestants are are mixing and sifting and rolling and flipping and cutting and frosting all with one eye on the batter and one eye on the clock. Because the buzzer is going to sound and they're going to have to step away and present whatever they have for judgment, for commendation and praise or for disappointment. That's completely different than how we usually bake in our kitchens, most of the time, time is not a factor. We are baking at our leisure. And even if we're baking you know, up before the start of dinner, we'll just move dinner if we're not done. We move things. When we get done, we get done with whatever we got done with. Most of the time, that's how we live. But Paul doesn't want us to live like that. Return of Christ-oriented lives and therefore return of Christ-oriented watchful prayers. That's what he commands. Aware the clock is ticking while I'm at work. So such prayers may well be Come Lord Jesus I'm waiting for you your kingdom come it, it may be that explicitly maybe that very in a very focused way but it also may be lord help me to here here I live under some sort of oppression from some sort of of hard to deal with authority help me to remember and become convinced that wrongdoers get repaid at the end when the buzzer sounds and I don't need to get justice for myself help me to remember lord that at the end when the buzzer sounds I will receive a reward And so I can give away what I have now. Remind me that slaves have a seat at the table and I'm a slave of yours. Remind me of that. Help me see it and trust it and live in light of the end. It may be that that's praying, watching the clock for you. Watch in your prayers for yourself and also verses 3 and 4. While you're doing that, same time, while that Pray with an eye on the clock and pray also for us, for me and the missionary team, says Paul, because of what we're engaged in. Pray for the advance of the gospel in the world. We've got two requests here. Pray that God would open a door for the word and pray that I would make it clear. Both are needed. Both are gifts from God. God which is why it's a prayer request. If we could make it clear in ourselves, if Paul, if, if Paul of all people, Paul should be able to make it clear. But Paul needs this gift too. We can't do it. God must make it clear. God must open the door, which is why it's a prayer. Paul, like anyone, which includes us then, we need God's grace to help make the message clear. We're going to deal with a message that is, is tricky and, and easily misunderstood. We're going to have to talk about sin, but we 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 want to talk about sin in a way that doesn't crush people or make it seem like I'm better than you because I'm telling you about sin. That's that's gonna be tricky to do. And then we've gonna talk when well, we talk about sin and how God's holy, then we're gonna to have to make clear that God is also a God of mercy and grace, both at the same time. How confusing. But then that God is a God of grace and mercy only in one particular way, a way that was really hard to understand, mysterious, hidden even that God became a man. God became a man in the person Jesus for the sake of being the one and only way in which God can be merciful and gracious to deal with our sin problem. Who is worthy of such a task? God, help me make it clear. Intellectually and linguistically clear, but then also does, to help it help it kind of make, make sense to life, and so that sounds like good news, not like judgment. It sounds like grace, and doesn't remain a mystery, but it becomes understandable. Help, we need that. We pray that. Paul says, "Pray that for me." This is this is the guy who wrote the Bible. <laughs> Ask God to help me make it clear. But. We need more than that because ultimately people don't turn away from the gospel because it's hard to understand. People turn away because there's a heart level resistance to what's made clear. And so Paul says, and ask God to open a door. I can make it completely clear and I can walk up to the door and if I try the handle and it's locked, I'm just standing in front of a locked door, not talking to anybody. Ask God to open a door. And that that may be open a door, like in a nation, or in a region, or in an an office complex, or in a shared cubicle space, in an individual's heart. Ask God to, to make a way. Because if he doesn't, apart from him, I can do nothing. What he's getting at is clear. God makes the gospel effective, not us. God opens the door. God makes the message clear. God causes the message to come to and then sit on a person so that their eyes come open and they see. And we pray that because that is necessary power that is in God alone. Apart from him, we can't do it. But when he does it, it can't be undone. What he opens, no one can close. And what he doesn't open, stays closed. So we have to pray. So do you pray? We must for missions out there, and for evangelism opportunities, even right here, with one eye on the clock, knowing that the end is coming. This unavoidably surfaces for us. There's some urgency here, that the clock running, watchful for the end, aware that he's coming. There, there's an urgency here, but, but the urgency, notice the urgency is saying, do this, and do what? Pray. Now, of course, he's talking about so that I can talk, and he's about to, in the next few verses, say so that you can talk, but the first thing he says is, what you really, 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 really what you need to do is Pray. which is pretty easy, but pretty hard. But pretty easy right off. If, if you, you look at the person sitting across from you, the person on the other side of the fence, there might be some complexity as to how do I talk to that person or I'm intimidated by that person or I never see that person. But pray, that I can do. And I can ask God to open the door. And ask God to make it clear. Oh, pray, I can do that. Yeah. But sometimes we find that's pretty hard to do, actually. Perhaps you're not praying watchfully, aware of what's coming. Perhaps you think that I can open the door, I can make it clear. Here's God's, here's God's call on us, God's invitation to us. And and perhaps right about now, some degree of guilt sets in. Because you hear, you track with this, pray, yeah, sure, of course I should pray. And and he calls me to command me, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And uh, anything but persistent would be the best way to describe my, my praying for. Missions and evangelistic opportunities. I mean, I pray a fair bit for my health and my family members' safety, but I'm, I'm not. And a fair bit of guilt sets in. Okay? So, so here's, what, here's what I don't want to do. Two things I don't want to do is say, that's no big deal. Or crush you with it. The reason I don't want to do it to you is that I don't want to do it to me. Because my prayer for this would be anything but persistent. This is a, I think it's probably a Christian problem. Certainly one I share. So I, I don't want to crush you with it. And here's, here's the good news. Behold the God of grace because he is so strongly committed to the mission that he planned it, he sent Christ. By his spirit, he sent someone, somehow a message to you and opened the door of your heart and made it clear to you and saved you. And your sin of non-persistent prayer is nailed to the cross also. You bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Don't get crushed by that. And on the other hand, Here's a command to you, and behold the grace of God in this. There's a command to you that is also an invitation that is amazing. If you have an eye on the future, you see what's actually coming. Stop for a minute and think about that. What's actually coming? God in grace has invited, commanded, invited you You are an object of the mission and a participant in the thing that counts. That's awesome. Don't don't throw that away. Don't skip by it. Don't say, just thank goodness that I'm forgiven, but also say, thank goodness that I'm, I'm gifted with an opportunity. He invites you to participate in something and then promises you that those who ask receive and those who seek find and those who knock. The door gets opened for all kinds of stuff, but including for this. He's a prayer answering God and he offered you the opportunity invited you into it, command you into it because he wants to use you in it So that sometime after the buzzer sounds, there will be some reward gained for you there that you will be able to enjoy. I don't know exactly how that works or what that is, but it says so. Take him up on the offer. Join in in prayer. And maybe what that means here is that we we have a missions committee whose one of their primary jobs is to help the congregation become alerted to and aware of what those who would be kind of our Pauls, what those who are in mission fields out there are doing and what they need. Somebody at our congregational meeting this last, this, uh, last Saturday, not yesterday, the day, week before, was, was asking about these, and we talked about them a little bit. These, these regular updates that are handed out, not to mention the, the ringed prayer cards, but the regular updates kind of try to keep us aware. Here's what, here's what the folks that we are engaged with need. Here's ways that we can pray. Ways we can ask God to open doors. Ways we can ask them to, ask God to empower their speaking and, and their work. Pray. For them, pray for yourself and for those around you. Watching the clock. Pray for open doors for yourself, too, and that leads us to the second point. So pray persistently for the mission, and now secondly, whatever you do, in word or deed, live for the mission. Whatever you do in word or deed, live for the mission. And I put it like that, the whatever you do, word or deed part, to point out there's a connection here between chapter 3, verse 17. Word and deed, and here now he's going to talk about deed and word. Some connection there. He's going to turn to talk to the church about not just how we do in word and in deed Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus in our families, in our household, but also whatever you do, wherever you're going, 24-7. Let me now talk to you, church, he says, about how you are to be. So he turns in verse 5. Paul's getting at here our, our, our Christian personal witnessing about Jesus, about the hope that's within us. And again, you, if you look at this, look ahead at verse 7. Now there are certainly we're going to we're going to look at the last verses here but verse 7 begins his turn to the people. He mentions this guy and he mentions another guy and another guy and and he, certainly things we're going to learn there but he's into his closing section next verse this is the last teaching the pinnacle. So he doesn't picture the church in Colossae facing all these challenges as just Let me help you hunker down and make it. Let me help you develop and grow and mature for the sake of something else, something out there. Different than Paul, you know, Paul travels the world. They're going to stay in Colossae. But similar to Paul, on mission with him. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely. We are to walk a life of wisdom. Wisdom, biblically speaking, is more than just intelligence or street-smart savvy. There's, there's, wisdom in the Bible is a life that's about living in light of the true God and in light of what's coming and the light of the way the world actually is. So it's a very broad, very important subject, and there's a lot to say about wisdom in the Bible generally. But this verse gives us a particular focus. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. People who are not Christians. People who are outside the family of God. So we must live with wisdom with regard to the non-Christians that are all around us in the world. Why? Well, because maybe because they're our enemies. Because they're hostile to us, might be out to get us, so we should be wise, sit careful, and prudent. To defend ourselves against them and and defeat them? Is that it? No. Not wise on guard against them, but the opposite. Be wise for them. For their sake. Be wise towards outsiders making the best use of the time, the time that remains until the end. You, we all, and them. We have a certain amount of time until the clock reaches all zeros and the horn sounds. That's true. You know the big picture. And you know what's really going on. You know what God is up to. You know there is an inheritance coming and that there is justice coming because there is a king coming. There's a master in heaven to which all of us will answer. You know that, and the world around you does not. So given that, there's a wise way and there's also a foolish way, but there's, there's a wise way to use the remaining time with regards to them. To help them get ready for that. This, I, I know that, it, that if, if you're not a Christian, you hear your christians talk about the end sometimes it sounds like christians talk about the end with kind of like kind of like glee that's the time when i get what's coming to me and you get what's coming to you no a christian's mind a christian's heart should be yes there is deliverance and yes there is justice as a relief to me but Like Jesus, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about the one who's outside who doesn't know. And and I want to use this time wisely for your sake. That should be the Christian's mindset approaching the non-Christian person around. To be wise for, not wise against that person. To help this person who, who sits next to you, this person, maybe even your family, the person across the fence from you, Who doesn't know God in Christ personally and is therefore still in his or her sin. Who doesn't trust themselves to him and therefore, more than just being in sin, is also only left to their own resources and unstable in the world, vulnerable to the winds and the waves. What does that person need to see in you? What would it be wise for you as you conduct yourself around that person, as you're around them and what you do to them and what you do in in front of them? What would it be wise? Well, what do they need? They need to see what that looks like in someone. What it looks like for a person to trust Christ, to entrust themselves to him, to walk in forgiveness and therefore in joy and thankfulness and to walk stable amidst wind and waves. They need to see someone who, is, who walks in the joy of forgiveness with eyes set beyond this world but on something else, who walks a new life thankful and in joy, who has put off anger and wrath and is instead approachable and kind and forgiving. In other words, what they need to see is chapter 3 in you, which is Paul's logic. Be wise for them, which may then mean a hundred different things in detail. If, if you're a person in a business setting, it's going to mean how you conduct yourself with this, with this business adversary is going to be different than how the, the teacher of third graders conducts him or herself. It, the settings are so different that what you do there is going to be pretty different. What anger might look like in those two settings. And putting off anger is going to be different. The details vary, of course. But what's common to all of us is the general thing every believer needs to think is your life is not just about you. And incidentally, that can be a great help to you. To kind of contradict myself, if you want to think about something that's good for you, realize that life's not about you. This is really helpful. Have you ever had... Like, God, I got a shoulder ache, and it's just bugging me. Like, all day long, man, my shoulder hurts. I'm trying to figure out if I can pop it back in or whatever. And then something else happens to someone else. Kid falls off the bike and breaks his arm. And you take him to the hospital and get it set. And hours later, you realize, I kind of forgot about my arm. My shoulder, huh, yeah, it always works like that, Always. Some of that's a simple distraction, but some of it also is perspective setting. Again, home and garden TV tells you what I've been watching lately. <laughs> How many home rehab shows are on home and garden TV? I love them. I'm watching them renovate this and fix up that and whatnot, and somebody brilliantly bought an ad slot on that channel in the middle of some of those shows. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard. Anybody seen that ad? Working woman, waitress, still in her waitress uniform, goes to the fridge, opens it up, it's empty. Little boy at the table, she's got a little bit of milk left, only food in the fridge, pours it out for him. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard. Homelessness and hunger is real in America. Now, back to our million dollar home renovation. Brilliant placement of an ad not just distracts me from the home renovation lusts that I have, but it also makes me aware of what's really going on. When you realize what's really going on and what's really going on, a lot of our self-eating concerns pass away. Back off of that. Life is not just about you. You're called by God to think carefully about what your life does to or for the non-believing world all around us. So basically, you could, you could, you could get at this by asking yourself, do I live in a way that throws up an off-putting stumbling block or do I live in a deliberate way that holds out an inviting invitation by showing what it looks like to walk with the living God? Am I throwing up a stumbling block or deliberately issuing an inviting invitation? And I say deliberate because there's initiative involved in making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time involves initiative. It's not happenstance. It's the difference between I'm gonna hold a party, and if any outsiders come, by chance, I'll be very good to them. And I'm gonna hold a party so that outsiders can come and I can be very good to them. And I can show them what it looks like to know the generosity and the kindness and the love of Christ. That's deliberate, and deliberate initiative is involved in a whole bunch of other things, but party throwing in view of what's coming. Knowing the clock is running, that, that, that's an application of this perhaps for you. But the question really is, do you know and care about outsiders like Jesus does? And are you thinking deliberately, what can I do with my life that would invite them and show them, or am I actually putting them off? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And that includes our speech too, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, as in full of grace, laced with God's grace coming through you so that what comes off your lips is a product of God's grace and then what comes to other people feels to them like grace. So if you reach back into chapter 3, you'd say, well, I've, I've... got grace on my lips, which means I've put away anger and slander and obscene talk and deceit. And in its place, there is compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and wisdom and knowledge and thankfulness and joy coming out in my speech. Not because it's natural, not in situations where, hey, we're all joyful and thankful, but in situations where I'm not naturally that excited. But what comes off is grace, and it gives grace to others, even those who might be the source of the irritation. Which may have something to say to us in our sometimes angry denouncing of our enemies. That's how we think of them sometimes, I think. hard to see, and doesn't, doesn't, don't we all know that a large piece of the difficulty that Christians have when we approach the world around us is that the world around us, as a portion of it, thinks that we hate them and we're judgmental of them. Where'd they ever get that idea? I think I might have an idea where they got that idea. We present like that sometimes. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. It may have something to say about, about our angry engagement with others, but it also has something to say. And this one, if I just skewered you, this one skewers me, okay? If you know me, you'll say, that's Steve. It also, has something to say to us when we sit around complaining and griping and criticizing. I'm a world-class complainer and criticizer. Years ago, I knew a guy who joked with me in one of those joking, poking sort of ways. He said, if you were ever to be the host of a meeting, you'd say, welcome to the meeting. Before we get started, let me tell you the top three things that are wrong with it. It was funny, but also kind of convicting because I thought, I do that all the time. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. He's so critical. She's such a complainer. They are really negative people. It's something that should never be said of Christians. But it's probably often said of me and maybe you. It should never be said of people like us who have our minds set on things above where Christ, our life, reigns. People who have done more than read chapter 3, verse 15, but live it. The peace of Christ rules in our hearts and we're thankful. That's tremendously convicting to me. And it's good. Because what this says is if me or if you, if 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 you want to obey this, that'd be for your good. Because the, the kind of life chapter three calls you to is a life of sweetness, of Christ-centered thinking and living that is full of thanksgiving and joy. And incidentally, that's exactly what you're supposed to be around other people. So I'm calling you to, I'm commanding you to the life that is good for you. Okay, that's that's helpful. I'm engaged then with that. I want to be a person whose life is, whose speech is in this case full of grace, seasoned with salt. You follow the train of thought there. The the seasoning with salt. When you put salt on something, it makes it taste good and then it also calls forth thirst. Makes you wonder, where'd that come from? I might not have responded like that, but he did, and that's interesting. Where would that come from? And you want that because the purpose is so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, each individual person. They're going to see, they're going to receive speech from you, they're going to respond to it in certain ways. It's going to surface different feelings and desires and weaknesses, and you're going to learn. There's where the open door might be. Or there's where it isn't. It's over here. I was praying, of course. The guy would open a door and maybe that's it. As this person responds, I learned something about how I'm supposed to answer each person when they ask me for the hope that's in me. Grace-filled speech, attractive, inviting to each particular person. That's how we are to live in word and in deed, which you can do remarkably if your eyes are set on things above. Christ sits, the one who is coming with your life for you and who will give you every bit of a glorious inheritance and will take care of every injustice done to you. He calls us to participate with him in the mission of God, which is the mission of God the Son, which is the mission of Paul, which is the mission of the church. He calls us to participate in that, commands us, in fact, but doesn't do that until after he's told us, and here's how I can make you the person you need to be and want to be. Set your eyes on me and walk with me. I, says Jesus, I cared about, I embraced, I lived out in word and in deed the mission to save you and now I call you to it also. So there's where we are, church. To live praying for those ones out there and us here with an eye on the end realizing what's really going on. Consciously aware of that and deliberate in word and in deed, living and praying for the mission. That's a church. May God make us that. Let me pray. Father, you sought out us as outsiders to make us insiders and now call us to the same thing and I say thank you for that and then ask you help. Move us to follow your decrees and move us in in an, an internally sound and whole way. Change us within. But maybe you start with just moving us to pray. The first part of this passage. Move us to pray. Bring individual people to our minds that, that need you, that we are around, and move us to pray. Make us a church that is with you on this mission and, and gets to enjoy you in it. Give us help, Lord. We say thank you for it in advance move, build your church, and honor your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.